praise and worship should bring revelation. We should go home changed and processing and gaining understanding just from this place. I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> uh, literally, we were, we were the choir. But um, uh, the Lord's just encouraged me to, uh, hopefully I can follow through on this, but to speak a few sessions um, and from do praise and then I'm, with the understanding that we praise until the spirit of worship comes. Then again, I want to teach on worship. And you worship until the glory comes. And then I want to teach on glory and how we stay in the glory. And I feel we practice that as a community all the time, but I want to support your experiences and your trust and your bravery with some biblical foundation and with some language and with some challenge um, so that we can all just journey together. Is that okay? I've taught on praise once in the old building. I taught on the seven Hebrew words for praise. English has one word. <laughs> Hebrew has so many meanings for this one word they've translated. And I'm going to include it in today because the recording of that didn't end up working. So it's not a resource that we have. So I'm going to include it in today. But I'm, I'm going to start with a lot more of the what and the why from some of the English language we use already. And then once we hit the Hebrew, you'll understand those terms better. Is that okay? I say, is that okay to say, thanks, because I'm African and they usually say something. No, because I say, is that okay, not for um, permission, though I do come in here yielded with my word. Is that okay as in, do you understand? That's what I'm meaning. Is that all right? Yes, same thing. I do it a lot. <laughs> all right. I really feel this is a, a timing. The Lord wants to do this journey and just pull us all in. He's such a uh, shepherd. He catches everyone. And I'm a mom. I know the I'm here, but I'm not here feeling. But I hope this encourages you. It's not about this extreme level of participation as much as it is about agreement. So I want to just pull you all in with an understanding of praise where we each go, okay, I get this lifestyle, not just this song. Is that all right? All right, what is praise? I've got heaps and heaps of slides. Thank you so much, guys. Huge job from Andrew and now the team. But I want to put scripture with it for you. And because I'm not always going to look at every single scripture, you can just snap screen where I've written references and check them out at home if you like, okay? Praise, basically, number one, I want to say praise is faith and action. I'm not even going to mention a song or a beat or the first two things you do before a tithing offering. It's not. Faith is, um, praise is faith and action. To praise God, it isn't praise unless we believe in Him. It isn't praise unless we believe. It's faith and action. We have to believe that He is. You praise Him because you believe that He is. All right? Praise is actually an intentional lifestyle because we can live from a perspective of faith. We can live from a perspective of praise. But in this setup... It becomes praise because we all believe that he is. That's where we start from. So we've come together to get together, and then we exalt him, and we glorify him. We praise him because he is. It starts with faith. I, I believe in God, and so then your praise begins, all right? <clears throat> so then through believing, through praising, we actually seek. That action involves is a seeking action, and so we come to him, and therefore we see him. So when we come with belief before him, when we seek him, when we put faith into action, so it's a doing word, the fruit is that we see him. I'll explain the why. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he who, has, who, comes, uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we diligently seek him through praise, our action of faith, the reward is that he will reveal himself to us. We will see him. Don't, uh, sometimes we go, okay, so I really want to use this language because we seek your face is a phrase we use a lot. And I think some people go, I mustn't be worshiping or, or I, I get stumped at this point because I can't see a face in front of me. We get really literal. And I, I want to say to you that I believe this church uh, has a grace for eyes to be opened and we are all seers in this community. I feel like the Lord desires his children to use all their senses. So even if you feel you only hear him or you only in your gut know, I feel he wants to release sight to you. I don't, I don't, uh, we will all be in need of each other's giftings, but I feel each child gets to see, feel, hear, smell, touch, that's design. He wants that in the spirit for you. But even me as a seer, I don't always see a face but I see who he is. I see the nature of God come to me. I sense him. So when we say the word see his face, we don't naturally mean see, but we get it. We get another establishment in our gut of who he is. Does that make sense? So try not to literally expect something, but just go in knowing that he will reveal himself to you in some manner, who he is, his nature. Does that make sense to you? If you go in with a subject and you want it literally back, it can stump you. Is that all right? So when we go in praise towards him, when we believe that he is, I'm going to go into this more. It's not that simple, but you need to understand that faith is primarily at the base of, of praise, that there's, a, there's, a, there's an action to faith and it's praise, then he will reveal himself to us. Another scripture, for God inhabits, this is Psalm 22, verse 3, for God inhabits, he makes his home in the praises of his people. There's a strong, constant, the whole way through scripture, when you praise, he comes. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. There is something of do, and this is the fruit, all right? Praise is, number two, a decision. We often talk about this, but I want to kind of come in a little sweeter with it. It's a decision and a bumblebee, a giant bumblebee. Um, praise is a decision. It's not a feeling, but it produces feelings, this decision is like someone knocking on your heart. He knocks, right? He knocks. Praise is, I'm opening. It's an action. It's a decision. When you open a door, you don't do it with your feelings. You do it as an action, a decision. You open the door of your heart. When he is in, when he comes in further, when he is given permission deeper, things become more whole. Things start to feel that we're dead. Areas that are dry get awakened. It's a decision. Does that make sense? So often we come into praise and we go, it's kind of hypocritical because I don't feel it. Or in this season, it is impossible to praise. But we have every reason in who he is for praise. That's, that's not a negotiation. He's already given us every reason for praise and for thanks. Who he is is enough. So praise on our end is a decision in the midst of our circumstances. Does that make sense? Hebrews 13, 15 from the Passion. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus, we, sat, we talked about this this morning, because of Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs, the sacrifices, the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. 
We no longer need to bring a blood offering like the, the priests in the day used to kill a lamb to purify them and for the purity of the church so they could present themselves in the presence of the Lord. And then Jesus became the perfect spotted lamb. We don't need to bring blood, but instead we get to celebrate his blood. Every time we offer praise, we stand with the blood. We celebrate the blood. It's a remembering and it's a calling it right in front of our faces. We have enough to be in, in joy before the Lord. Not fake joy, I'm gonna get into this, but we have enough to position ourselves in praise. If your circumstances tell you that there's not really reason to praise today, you have forgotten the whole reason of why you believe. You've forgotten the whole story and put your season as Lord. But the whole story is enough. This is the beauty of what he's done, that we get to live in the, in the time of the redeemed. His whole story is enough for us to come open-doored into praise. It should not be the stumbling block. Sure, maybe some of the further we get into Hebrew, you'll understand what they understand praise is. That, that can be awkward. This could be confronting. But the actual decision, if we believe who he is, there's enough in the story. There's enough in the story of Jesus. There's enough in the story of Jesus for thanks to come off our lips in deepest grief. There's enough in the story of Jesus to praise him, to describe his attributes. There's enough. You don't need the feeling. It's an open door for him to move in. When we make the decision, we not only give action to our faith, but we open the door for the perceived manifest presence of God, the reward, because praise is an action that opens the door for the king to come in. Have you heard that scripture? Open the gates that the king might come in. He comes into our hearts and into our reality and he awakens our feelings. Even in Hebrews, we see Psalm 50 verse 23, which is... Um, I'll just read it from the scripture. If you do this, if you, if you praise me, it's the phrases, oh, that you would give thanks and praise. And he says, if you do this, more of my salvation will unfold for you. Yeah. If we open the door, more of my salvation will unfold for you. I don't feel it today. Open the door, more of my salvation will unfold for you. Isn't it awesome? We have the ticket. Every day we have the ticket for more of his salvation to unfold in our lives. Praise is so powerful. If you've been brought up in a community where praise is the, the shallow part and then, and then the intercession and worship is the deep place, you've missed it. This is your beginning. And if you don't have your beginning, everything else has nothing on to stand on. It has nothing to stand on. That's why he says, come into the gates with thanksgiving. Come into the courts with praise. This is what we stand on. And this undergirds everything else we enter into afterwards. When I'm in worship, I'm in worship because of praise, because I believe, and because I've opened the door. It is such a weighty position, and there is so much more in worship and in the glory that praise still intertwines, interweaves both in there. It's all in there, all the time. It is undergirded. We don't ever leave praise behind. Does that make sense? Okay, page one of 14 pages. You try condensed praise. The more I read this, the more I explode, and then I realize no wonder praise is endless in heaven, because the more you look for him, the more you see, and the more you understand what it does for you, the more you want to do it. It just goes on and on and on. One hallelujah is one revelation to your heart. The second time you sing it, it goes deeper. You can never out-sing hallelujah. 
You can never say that repetition is empty. That every time you say yes to God, you come in. And you say yes, and then he comes more. You can never be repetitive with Jesus. You can only be deeper. Do you understand the power of praise? There is so much in this that 14 pages is a drop. But we'll do it because I made it in a bigger font because I'm in my mid-30s. Okay. <laughs> praise is agreement with God's nature. I'm going to expand on agreement because this is so powerful. I love, I love agreement. Agreement's great for people who feel like I just don't have words and you guys are so descriptive and when you see his face, you pour out these great words and I've got nothing. You have agreement. Never underestimate the power of yes and amen. Yes and amen. I yell yes more than I say most things because yes is just go for it, Jesus. You're awesome. This book, I've preached, this is a good book to read. Please read this book. There's a shift in our season and our generation and this book is on it. Please read it. It's at the back. But from this book, from David Fritch, he expands on agreement and I love the way he does. So I'm going to kind of just read his stuff. Is that okay? Okay. Let's talk about the power of agreement really briefly. Agreement is the place where heaven meets earth. Praise, Jesus is enthroned on his people. You see how agreement comes into this? Where heaven meets earth. It's the simple reality that when we agree with God's word, we give God a place to enforce it into our heart and into the earth. Our agreement opens the door, we've already talked about opens the door, for his realm to influence ours. So why does God want our agreement? We are God's representative authority in the earth, and he will not cross our free will. He has actually given stewardship and dominion over the earth realm to us, and this is a very sobering thought. If we don't want God to come, he won't. If we don't want God to come, he won't. This is why sometimes in the worship time we'll stop everything and we'll call things in because we're like, you don't have to be paying 100% participation. You don't have to all have your hands in the air or all of you be weepy. You need to have agreement. And it's not like we're like reading you all and seeing if a big green light goes off. It's that the room holds this and it's like, okay, there's agreement in the room. There's agreement in the room. There's we can move because it won't move if there's no agreement. It just can't. Then we're just singing dry songs. We're just being, no, we're doing the motion. But when there's agreement in the room, you feel this traction and the song just goes into something because we keep saying yes. Does that make sense? If we don't want his word, if we don't want his will, if we don't want his presence, we don't have to have it. That's the beauty of free will. Saul's generation didn't want God to be king. So he gave them a man to rule over him. He will let us have what we want. That's why praise is wonderful, because we choose him. We choose. I, I believe in God. It's always by this amazing grace of the Spirit the whole time, but I believe in God. And then that's why we can say, Lord, give me hunger, because his grace enables. Then I open. There's this choice on our end of the relationship that gives permission. So we as rulers over earth hold incredible sway over what happens here. When we honor God's authority and agree with his word, we actually release him to rule, not just over the hearts, but also the earth. Do you see how praise is now suddenly intercession? That's intercession. We're releasing him over the earth. In other words, God will set his throne among and rule from praise. <coughs> um, just as in heaven, 
Revelation 4 describes the heavenly places, the throne room, and he wants to set the same picture that's in heaven on earth. Does that make sense? The actual end time revelation for what he describes is so that we understand on earth as in heaven. That's what it looks like is this constant hallelujah on earth as in heaven. He wants to inhabit our praise as he inhabits the praise of the angelic. That's what he wants on earth. He's not going to make a different system here. He wants heaven on earth. So if we enter the Holy of Holies and the angels are crying out, worthy, 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 holy, 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 that must be here for it to be heaven on earth. Praise permits and releases his will on earth as it is in heaven. So back to point three. Praise is agreement with God's nature. Agreement, which releases it in our hearts and throughout. As we simply honor who he is and what he's like, we're agreeing with the truth. There's only one truth and a million other people's opinions, but there's only one truth. So when we come into agreement with him, we finally come into alignment. We've we've suddenly yielded everything that we've perceived or understood or even our realities. We've yielded it and we've gone, your truth, you are the truth. This is the truth. And that becomes the Lord and that becomes the traction and that becomes the alignment. Do you understand? Not the season that you're in, not your lack of finances, not the fact that your sickness hasn't left. Is Jesus the healer? Yeah. Ow. But it's the truth or it's no true at all. It's always the truth, but we choose to to believe it or not. Does that make sense? This perpetual agreement both welcomes and gives God the rightful place of authority in the land. Praise is such a powerful intercessional tool. So the why. When we agree with God's nature to see him in greater revelation than before, or we see him in greater revelation than before, so it's always perpetual. We always see more and more. There is always more to the Lord. And we can begin to see him in this place of authority, which means once we see him more and more, every time we see him, we start to see him as above all things. He really is Lord of all. We see him above. But the beauty of that is that he says, you need to see as I see. So then you start to sit with him in heavenly places, which is the design, right? He keeps calling us higher, doesn't he? Calling us higher. I want you to sit where I'm sitting. I want to be here on earth, but I want you to see as I see. And so then you start start to see who when they're in the place of praise suddenly realizes I could sing this out and it seems totally possible ask me maybe 10 20 minutes ago and I would have gone oh it's just too hard when you enter into praise and you come into agreement with the king all things are possible and you see as he sees and you start to decree things as he decrees which means I want to go on to just really briefly three other expressions that aren't necessarily termed praise in English language. We've called them other things, and that's good. And I want to go on those three because they're all rooted in the same thing. They're all rooted in agreement. And you'll see them in the Hebraic understanding of praise. So I want to pull them in so that we understand what they are a bit better, really briefly, all right? We've got B. A was praise is agreement with God's nature. B, thanksgiving is agreement with what he's done. So throughout the Hebraic, when you say praise and thanksgiving throughout the scripture, they actually all sometimes come out as praise, and sometimes they all come out as thanksgiving because the Hebraic understands the expansion of the word praise, but we've sort of, we've made them very different. They really do interweave a lot. Thanksgiving is agreement with what he's done. Thanksgiving, this is good, it's a call to remember. If you come in here and you don't find you have much reason in your gut, to praise him, then a lot of thanksgiving needs to happen. 
It's a call to remember. And if I know one thing from an intercessory place, there's a robbing spirit that takes away lots of memories. <laughs> and so Thanksgiving is warfare. We need, we need to remember what he's done, not just on the cross, but even after, in our hearts, what he's done in our families. We need to remember the testimonies of God's love and his faithfulness. We need to remember his mercy when there's shame. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember you call the blood back into your, into your memory, into being. You plead the blood of Jesus back to the foreground. Does that make sense? Thanksgiving is a call to remember the king who left everything abundant and wonderful and chose to come to earth, born of a woman, live among us, restricted, limited human, experiencing all that we know. There is nothing that he doesn't understand that we go through. He died for our sins. He rose again, defeating death, defeating death. Jesus' name above all names. We need to remember him so that we can come and dwell with him and become whole like him and start to rule like him. There is so much power in remembrance. Thanksgiving is agreement. It's not like a life of gratitude. It's agreement. I'm going to go into this way more powerfully in the Hebrew. It kind of burns you up. I love it. Um, so the why. Thanksgiving causes faith to stay at a high octane. It stirs up hope. It causes our trust to remain firm. It causes us to overcome forgetting. The very reason that Israel abandoned God in David's early days is because they forgot. Entitlement, pride, bitterness, comparison, envy, depression, hopelessness, pain, grief, anxiety, paranoia. They can all creep in and entangle us if we forget who he is and what he has done. We don't need the future to pan out perfectly unless we've forgotten what he's done. Thanksgiving releases bursts of joy as we remember all that God has done. Therefore, Thanksgiving paves the way for strength. The joy of the Lord of our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength and we want to sort of stir up joy. Thanksgiving bursts joy into your being. It paves the way for strength. So we've got praise, agreement with God's nature, thanksgiving, agreement with what he's done, intercession is agreement with his will. Really simply put, intercession, intercession is agreement with his will, which is for all humanity to be restored back to their original design to come back into how he designed it in the first place. There is so much more to the topic of intercession. But simply put, just agreeing with his will, every time we pray, every time we worship, that we come into agreement. Sometimes we recognize it's intercession. Other times we're just in a place of praise. But because there's agreement, it is intercession. Do you see how it all weaves through? It's so cool. That's why they all connect. Agreeing with his will empowers God to release the resources of heaven into earth. Angels are sent on assignment. He sows into earth as we sow into heaven. Really cool. So much more in there. I don't want to spend time on it as a subject, though. Prophesying. That's the fourth one. Prophecy is agreement with what he's going to do. It's agreeing with his plan. So simple, there's so much more to it. But we, when we prophesy, we come into the place of, I want to know your secrets, God. I want to understand your mysteries. And He reveals His heart to us. And, and true prophetic words, my belief is that it comes with the intention of the Father, it comes with His heart in the matter. And so it's a really, there is a plan, but a plan because I know you. 
Do you understand? There is a real solidifying degree in prophecy where it's, I can speak into you and I can speak into the generations behind you and I can speak into the generations ahead. It is a deep-rooted, fathering, lovering place, the prophetic. And the prophetic is agreement with what he's going to do from there. It is a sweet place. It's a powerful place. And when we agree with what he sees and what he wants in that depth, that's where like impossible things can happen. But in that depth, we're agreeing with his nature of what he wants. In that depth, when we decree it to be so, dead things come to life. Agreeing with prophecy, coming through with prophecy keeps our hearts aligned to his heart. We suddenly understand what he cares about. What his intentions have been all along. We come into agreement with that. That's high praise. And as we agree with what he sees and what he plans and we decree it to be so, winds must bow. Waves must die down. Bones must come alive. Things shift course when we enter into agreement with the prophetic. We come into agreement with what he's going to do. The very word of God means we're coming into agreement with Jesus. Yeah? Four agreements. Do you understand agreements? Just wanted to put them out there because they now come through the Hebraic understanding of praise, and we're going to go there. And I have time. I have so much time. This is great. Am I going too fast? Yeah. Thank you for having such a long worship that actually was short. That's amazing. I felt like we went on for a lovely time. All right. Seven Hebrew words for praise. Who was here when I spoke on this last? Good. Good. Lots of you are like new faces. Uh, the rest of you can teach it with me. We'll do examples. Once I've talked about it, one of you can stand up and illustrate it. Does that sound good? I'm going to push us over the cliff with the first one because with the Hebraic language, it's never just like a description. It always has an emotion and a language and a feeling and a color. It is such a rich nature. The Hebrew people were not scared of emotion. They didn't hide it. I'm not saying that we should be big flamboyant weirdos. I'm just saying they, weren't, they were okay with it. It was part of their description. They would mourn loudly. They would laugh loudly. It was, it was part of their culture, and so their language is illustrates that too. It's full of passion, the passion translation. Uh, so um, that in itself can be awkward for a more reserved culture to swallow. And so I thought I'd be kind and give you the worst one first. And then from there on, it'll just be way more comfortable. We'll all be in the deep waters and we'll all be treading water and we'll be like, whatever, hit me. Is that okay? It's going to be okay. If it's any comfort to you, these expose me massively, and I like it as much as it burns. I like it. I like knowing what God wants, okay? We're going to go number one, halal. It means to boast, putting it kindly, to boast, okay? Halal is the primary Hebrew word for the word praise. You will see halal weaved in throughout all of the seven words to some degree in meaning or in posture. But our word, as Brad mentioned in the worship, our word hallelujah comes from the same base word, halal, okay? Halal means to be clear, to praise, to boast, to rave upon the Lord, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Let's do this. I feel it's important that we don't choose which ones we like, but we explore what it means in full. And the ones that stood out as interesting were to rave upon the Lord 
and to be clamorously foolish, so I'm going to go into them, all right? Halal is to rave. The dictionary understanding of rave is to talk wildly, to act madly, as in delirium. Let's look at this. Someone who is delirious is in a state of violent excitement or emotion. They're in frenzy. A more or less temporary disorder of the mental faculties. It's like intoxication and it's characterized by excitement. Paul, when he described being filled with the Spirit, he compared it to being intoxicated in Ephesians 5 verse 18. And again, when the people saw the disciples after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they thought they were intoxicated. Acts 2, 13 to 15. There is something about the Spirit of God and engaging with Him that is beyond our faculties. Not that we strive to go beyond our mental faculties, but that we yield to the reality that who He is is more wonderful than our bodies can contain. And we're not going to determine that. Follow with me. We're going to stay in this friction place a bit more. Is that okay? Just track with me. I, I also look at this and go, which part is the real part and which part is the trying to part? Just come with me, all right? Another description of rave would be to express great or extravagant admiration. I find that swallowable. Great or extravagant admiration. But let's amplify these words because these are English words. I thought I should let you know what they actually mean because we simplify everything. So I'm going to amplify. To express great in extreme degree or extravagant, spending much more than is necessary, excessive, exceeding the bounds of reason, going beyond what is justifiable, unrestrained, admiration, to regard with wonder, pleasure, and approval. It's pushed us across our comfort zone again. Unrestrained, beyond what is justifiable. I don't know why we're kind of looking at each other and considering what is justifiable, but this is what he's, he's saying. Well, this is what scripture is saying is to praise him. Keep tracking with me. I know this is hard. I'd rather be in a place of friction and find him than turn it off because I don't like it. Is that all right? Halal is to be clamorously foolish. Clamorous means a loud and continuous sound. Obviously, it's focused towards the Lord. But then to say foolish, clamorously foolish, and this is where I'm like, it's not about trying to be idiotic, all right? I think the best way we can possibly understand the phrasing and the posture of clamorously foolish is if we look at the way someone uh, views spirituality from a non-spiritual perspective. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, it says, for the things of God are foolishness to the world, yeah? So remember when David danced before the Lord in nothing but his jocks? Would we find that acceptable? Ask yourself, would you find that acceptable? Did the Lord find it acceptable? When David danced before the Lord, the non-praiser, Michal, saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she thought he was foolish to the point of despising her, him in her heart. It's in 2 Samuel. But David understood that he was hosting the Lord of all, and so he became clamorously foolish. He halaled the whole way. That was his offering of praise. 
Don't tell me it's back in the day and we don't need to do it anymore. And don't come in your undies next Sunday. <laughs> but we need to, the question I'm putting and the friction I'm causing is because I don't think our comfort zone should be dictating praise. We don't even know what it looks like. We don't know what it looks like. So don't try and know what it looks like. Don't put a little barrier down if it looks like this. Biblically, we want to do what he's asking us to do. And he is saying, be clear, to praise, shine, boast, rave upon me, celebrate, be clamorously foolish. Whenever we halal, whenever we boast on the Lord, whenever we give an offering that might seem foolish to the rest of the world, we aren't striving to be foolish. But it will possibly seem super foolish to the non-praiser or the non-believer, whether they're in here or not. When we step out of our comfort zone and offer halal, we take the risk that we get to actually experience and glorify him within his comfort zone. When you give up yours, you gain his. No, 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 no. Everything is fine and dandy along this edge of this cliff, right? I know how it works. It's comfortable. As soon as I step off from a posture of obedience, not rebellion, not from a place of I want to be hypo, but because this is what he's asked of me and I want to open the door. As soon as I step off, I encounter something I've never known before. You cannot know it, then go into it. It's called his comfort zone and my comfort zone. My comfort zone eliminates him if I've put the line down of what I think it is. Does that make sense? You make room for him by stepping out. You make room for him by stepping out. Because why? Because the decision is the free will part. Worth noting, um, Brad mentioned it, hallelujah, uh, the root word is halal to Yahweh. In the Bible, we have what is known as the Hallelujah Psalms. It's just really valuable to learn these sort of things that helps your Bible reading times, I find. Um, they're called this because they either start or they end with Hallelujah. They're usually translated as Praise the Lord. In the scripture these days, we just see Praise the Lord. But these Hallelujah Psalms divide into three groups. If you read Psalm 104 to 106, it's six. <laughs> it speaks of God's attributes. If you read Psalms 111 to 117, these were the ones that, they were, that were used specifically for the Passover time, for the feasts. And then if you read Psalm 135 and then 145 all the way to 150, these were the ones used in temple worship. So they have specific reasons for these psalms all written, and a lot of them began and ended with praise the Lord. But as you read the psalms with hallelujah, which seems like, I guess because it's not English, we sometimes disconnect with the meaning of it all and we just say it because it's a religiously thing we do. But if we understand what it means, which is give up a huge boast to the Lord to just step into it with extravagant wonder and awe, if we understand that praise and boast is unto Jesus, whatever that is, an extravagant place can be a very deep place. An extravagant place can be a very flamboyant place. But as long as it is truly extravagant, okay? Thoughts aren't always extravagant, just putting it out there, because it's the fruit of our lips giving praise. So we've got some examples that I thought were really handy, if you read it, knowing what it means. Psalm 113, verse 1 to 3. Hallelujah, extravagant praise to the Lord. Go ahead, praise the Lord, all you loving servants of God. Keep it up, praise Him some more. For the glorious name of the Lord is blessed forever and ever, from sunrise brilliance to sunset beauty. Lift up praise from dawn to dusk. 
It's that praise that you're reading there. It's that praise. It's halal. Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise, let them halal his name in the dance. Make music and sing. This is the first time he's mentioned singing, by the way. Halal doesn't necessarily mean singing. Let them make music and sing God's praises with the rhythm of drums. Andrew, you've permitted in our community now. Psalm 150, verse 1. Hallelujah. Extravagant praise to Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Halal, boast. Praise God in his holy sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. It's not just, oh, he's good. It's a rich position, okay? Are we all right? Other references are there, a snap screen if you want. I'm going to move on to number two. I want that awkwardness because I, I need the yielding of our comfort zones throughout. But we need to understand anytime there's yielding of what our will is, it's always for his will, which is way better. You're not kind of going, oh, darn it, uh, I have to do something, I'm enslaved, it's a job. It's, no, this is the reward, all the rewards, that we would see him, that we would know him, that he would be released and he would rule and reign. It's all those things. The fruit of David dancing was that the nation was fed a triple portion. If you want to reach the nations, you might have to dance. It's just how he does it. Are you willing to pay the cost to handle the stewardship of the reward that he even gives you? His presence is so weighty, you need to be able to handle it. Sometimes the cost of praise actually matures our heart to handle what he's going to give us. Like, it's not my will, your will, and you bend and you pay the, what might seem humiliating, the cost of yelling that loudly and looking like a weirdo or whatever it is that is crying out in your pit. If you give that to him, then he says, great, here, I'm calling you to this. You'll go, I'll do anything. I already just did that. Do you understand the, the yielding is necessary? It really is necessary. Worship is never on how we should do it. It's how he's asked us to. Yada, to lift our hands. Yay, it's in the Bible. We're actually doing something biblical. Yada. It's a verb. It's a doing word. We can't lift our hands in our minds. Yada. Okay? It's a doing word. The root meaning is to worship with lifted, extended hands, to throw out the hands in the attitude of love, trust, and awe. Love the Hebrew. The interpretation of yada is just, amount, just, much, hmm, just as much about the attitude of love and trust and awe as it is about the expression of, of extending your hand. They go together. All right? Some examples. Second uh, Chronicles 20, 21. Give thanks. So we see how the word praise is now becoming thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give yada. Throw out your hands in an attitude of love, trust, and awe for his loving kindness is everlasting. Love reading the scripture and the depth that comes in when you understand the posture behind the word praise. Psalm 107 verse 15. Oh, that men would yada the Lord, that they would give thanks, they would throw out their hands in an attitude of love and trust and awe for the Lord, to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works for mankind. So much depth in one sentence suddenly, isn't there? I love it. I just want to point out that's where we see thanks. We see it interweaving kind of in these scriptures here, and it, 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 it's yada, so it comes, but it, it's praise, but it, obviously it's thanks through the Hebrew. But we see an expression of praise through thanksgiving even more in the next one. So this is simply our understanding of thanks, where we're just saying thanks for all that you've done with an attitude of love and trust and awe. But Tauda goes into it in a deeper way. 
So number three, the Hebraic word tawda for praise is to give, to give thanks. Lord, I just thank you that this is the truth. And Lord, I just thank you that in this room right now, we can come into, your grace allows us to come into alignment with your truth. We just want your truth, God. We just want the truth. We don't want our will. We want your will. We want it for your people, but we want it for this nation. We want you enthroned here. We want heaven on earth, so we want your will. This is the call of every person to worship the Lord, and this is it. Call upon our lives is this. The call upon your bride is this. This is more important than anything. You've called us to love you. It's only in loving you that we even know how to love our brother. I want to love your people by making this palatable, God, but if it's not palatable, that's okay. We just want your truth. If it bends and it doesn't feel good, that's okay. We just want your truth. So, Lord, I just even repent for trying to make it palatable. It's okay. I'm just going to keep talking your truth and let your spirit do it with kindness through my tongue in Jesus' name. Tauda, to give thanks. Tauda comes from the same principle root word as yada, but it's used more specifically. Tauda literally means an extension of the hand in adoration or acceptance as real or true. This is where we understand that Tauda is agreement with what he's done and who he is. It's an extension of the hand in adoration or acceptance as real or true. This is the truth. But it comes from the heart posture of praising before the fact. Tauda means... This is who you are in the midst of my trial where it doesn't feel true. We could say Tauda's posture is hands extended in thanks from a place of trust. And when we praise in the dark or in disappointment or even in despair, it's not fake, it's faith. It takes great trust. Tauda is therefore also interpreted as thanksgiving from agreement with his word or raising our hands in confession of the truth. If you can picture like in the court of law where we raise our hands and we say, we swear by the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. It is a confession of our faith. When the enemy comes against you, Tauda is your confession of your faith. It's never based on our reality. This is where I love the word of faith movement. Thank you, Kenneth Copeland. But this is, this is when shame and mockery and history comes back in your faith, face and you get to say, but in Christ, I'm a new creation. This is when when you're sick and nothing's changed, you go, but by his stripes, I am healed. These are the declarations from our lips. They are praise. 
This is when our children still haven't come home or when circumstances haven't changed at home within your marriage and you say, but with God, all things are possible. It's a declaration from our lips that produces life into our circumstances. It's a faith offering that has nothing to do with our reality, but completely dependent on who he is. But he is the crunch. Tauda is also the thanksgiving mentioned in Psalm 100, verse 4. We enter his gates with Tauda. It's the first thing that we can raise our hands and confess who he is. No matter how your day started, when we come in on a Sunday, Tauda is how we start. When your eyes open in bed, no matter what the house is like, Tauda is how you start. To find him is Tauda. I know you're here, Papa. I know you're good. It always starts with agreement with who he is, regardless of your circumstances. We enter his courts with Tehillah, which I'm going to do next. It's the praise. But we need to understand that if we've been brought up in or have experienced and benefited from knowing Scripture because of the Word of Faith movement, it's not about walking around decreeing so much, like I wish I knew more Bible verses, it's such a good thing to know the word. It's not about a big decreeing faith pump up. It's about a person. The court is where the king is. It's his presence. We also know that the entrance into the court or his presence is through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. Jesus is the living word. He is our entrance into the presence of God. This psalm doesn't just tell us the attitude in which to approach God, but it's that the confession of Jesus, of who he is, of his loving kindness towards us, the confession of the person, the confession of the person. When you're in the darkest place, just confess Jesus. Confess the person. Agree with what he's done. The nature of Jesus. Then you enter into fellowship. That's what we want. We don't want to enter into, like, permission and the guilt-freeness. We want to enter into fellowship. Do you understand the difference? Jesus is the truth. When we raise our hands and say, this is it, we're raising our hands to, I'm meeting Jesus. I'm meeting Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm declaring these things because I'm declaring the person the nature, the face. You're declaring it so that your eyes come to see it. Does that make sense? Some other examples through my snotty nose are Psalm 50:14. Why don't you bring me the sacrifices I desire? Bring me your true and sincere thanks. Show me your gratitude by keeping your promises to me, the Most High. Psalm 50, 23. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. And to the blameless, I'll show my salvation. Or, Passion Translation. Wow. <laughs> Just for everybody, so that the rest of the world also knows that I'm, I was already known. The life that pleases me is a life lived in the gratitude of grace. Oh, that we would just see his face and then cry out that he would help us to see his face. It's just this dance, isn't it? That we would just say, God, give us the grace to be grateful. Life lived in the gratitude of grace, always choosing to walk with me in what is right. 
this is the sacrifice I desire from you. If you do this, more of my salvation will unfold for you. There's that line. It's this one. It's Tauda. Other references are up there. Let's go on to enter his courts with praise. Tehillah. This one is the singing one. Yay. For singers and non-singers, we enter his courts with singing. He likes it. Doesn't matter if he can sing in tune. Heck, he never said that. He just said sing. Sing praise. Tehillah is, is derived from the word halal, which is the rave, to step out of our comfort zone in expressing extravagant boasting towards the Lord. It means the singing of halals, or to sing, or to Lord praise that the Lord inhabits. So we understand that we're coming before him with a song, a giant song, a deep song, a beyond ourselves song. It's perceived to involve music, but is especially understood as singing either in the spirit, so tongues comes into this, or high praise, and we have the deep, deep, um, uh, I was speaking of it before, it was the yada, the deep places with the Lord. We have the prophetic praise and the intercession, all comes into this. They actually literally say Tehillah. It is like intercession and song and prayer all in one. It's so powerful. So all those agreements that I mentioned before, we have come into his, comes through the gates with Tauda, with we, we thank and we agree with who you are regardless of our season, and then come into a courts with praise. Extravagant boasting, full of agreement. In every way, let agreement flow. Let it agree with intercession flowing. Let it agree with the prophetic flowing. Let it agree with tongues. Let it agree with song. Let it agree with sound. And let it just be continuous sound to the Lord. And then his praise, in this place of praise, he inhabits the praises of his people. Conflict moment. Does it take one praise song or two, 10 minutes or 20? We've talked about this because we want to honor timetables and people's, <laughs> I never really want to honor people's preferences of music. I don't mean that rudely, but it's not really about that. But um, I've come to learn that praise can be two minutes or it can be 20, but you don't move on till worship comes. There's no point. You're not just doing something, you're, you're, you're entering the gates and you're entering the courts. And unless you're going up, you just keep going till you're fully ascended. You've got to ascend to the holy place. You've got to come higher. So praise can happen. It's often happened. Praise can happen in our prayer time here when we've all said good morning and then we pray quickly and da-da-da-da-da and then we start our worship. Praise is already happening and we can enter into worship literally by the first song. You can have praise, and it just kicks in to this place of worship, which I'll teach on next. But praise doesn't need to be a slaughterhouse. It's that if we come into agreement, you hit it. Does that make sense? He comes, and it's there, and it's there, and you know you can move on. And that's the traction we're always talking about when we're up here. It's like we're just following something. We're, we're following the Spirit, and, and you, you enter this way. But it can be two minutes, or it can be 20. Sometimes you stay there because he's just doing a mighty work. And it's the deepest place, and it's full of worship, but it's praise, praise, praise. If you come to the prayer room, it's praise, and then it's a deep place, and then off right back into praise because he's doing something. You've got to be flexible, and I think we've often been taught, you know, liturgical. 
it's not, he's, he's asking for spirit-led, and spirit-led means come in with thanksgiving and come in with praise, but then you've got to ascend. The Holy of Holies is through, you ascend the hill. Jerusalem's on a hill, that's why it talks that way, but you've actually got to come up higher with the Lord. You've got to come up. You've got to come up. You've got to come up to where he's sitting and where he's seated. Is that all right? So, if halal is speaking your praise to the Father, tehillah is to sing halal. If you express great and extravagant adoration to the point of foolishness in the eyes of the non-praiser or the non-believer, loudly in song, you are giving tehillah to the Father. You boast. Basically, just boast. Which, what's the powerful scripture that Paul talks about, about boasting? I boast in my, because... In my weaknesses, the Lord proves. So there should never be weakness that stops you from praise. Boasting. Psalm 22, 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises, this kind of praises, of Israel. It's Tehillah, that's the word. And if we consider Psalm 104 as before, 100 verse 4 as before, Four, 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 four. We enter his presence with thanksgiving before the fact and confession of truth, Tauda. But we enter the courts, the perceived manifest presence of God through Tehillah, the singing of extravagant praise. The glory or the manifest presence of God comes when we sing praises. We read about in Solomon's 2 Chronicles 5. They completed the temple, and the singers and musicians were as one, lifting up songs of praise and thanksgiving. They talk about it as Tehillah. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It's just the way that he asks of it. It's not because we're servants trying to please him. It's because we've come into alignment to see what he wants us to see. This is how we see. You see by thanksgiving, and you see by praise. You see him because you've agreed, actually, this is who you are. It's not a slave to a king, and yet it very much is, and I'm very joyful to be enslaved to a king this good. I want to be a servant to this kind of ruler. It's always going to be for my good. But it's actually, praise makes me see you for who you are because I agree with who you are. All right? Clears the way. Another example Isaiah 61 verse 3, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of tehillah instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of splendor. He provides a garment of ridiculous, extravagant praise for people who are in despair. Mm. Number five, I know you love this one. Shabak, to raise an uninhibited, uninhibited, uninhibited. I got it. My speech, it's usually spiritual. If my speech just goes crappy like this, it's because there's things that are not in agreement. It's okay. I'm just going to keep speaking, and if I stutter a lot, can you just roll with me? Or speak in tongues, we're going to be fine. To raise an uninhibited shout, because I'm just going to keep going forward. Shabak means to raise an uninhibited shout, to give God loud adoration and unashamed praise, to command, to command, to triumph and give joyous testimony. We do not shout to receive joy, but because of what the Father has done, we have joy and we shout. I shout and joy cracks out of a very dry ground for me. But I want to talk about the way the shouting, I've felt it in the atmosphere and why I love shouting. 
I don't shout as a lifestyle, but I shout in worship. Here's some examples. Psalm 47 verse one. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. I believe my shout should be more powerful in this realm than it is watching any footy game. And I love sport. I need to celebrate him more uninhibited than I would in any of those places. Who here went and saw Celine Dion and screamed like a girl? He's way cooler than Celine Dion. Who here watches their kids when Santa comes along? We meant to come to him like children. He's way better than Santa. Do you understand where we've contained it and where we've permitted it? And it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall shabak, shall raise an uninhibited, uninhibited shout your works to another generation and declare your mighty deeds. Let me tell you, when I shout, I know the past hears it and I know the future hears it. I don't think of shouting and the air has to have to put up with this loud noise. I know I'm speaking to generations and I know I'm speaking to the future. It is prophetic when we speak a command back into yesterday and we decree what's going on. And sometimes the shout is what shakes the shackle. I have shouted and felt like layer upon layer upon layer generationally behind me has had to tear. It's had to break with the force of the Lord in it. But it was the permission, like he said, you've got to shout. You've got to shout. You've got to command it. And it doesn't make sense and we want to justify everything and make it like we should whisper because the voice of the Lord is strong enough and whatever. I yield my faculties because he's designed them for praise. And if he asks me to shout, then I'll shout. We've made shouting bad. He thinks shouting's great. It's got a place. Otherwise, I don't think he would have made us this loud. If we've only thought of shouting as something we use abusively, we've misused it. Because he's made us to have a loud volume for something. And it would have been good. Okay? If you wake up and things feel dead, shouting's a massive intercession tool for me. If things are dead, the atmosphere dry, I will just, I won't yell long time. Sometimes you want to, as a mum, just yell in a cupboard because life. But, but I, I sometimes I'm like, hey, I'll just speak to the atmosphere. Like, listen to me. It's like calling things to attention. None of this anymore. Stop. And then we just speak who God is in that moment. And that can be your whisper. And that's fine. But you're taking command. And it's different to when it's your kid, I don't always yell, unless crossing a road, sure, I think I will yell. But when, it's, when the environment is abusive, sometimes you go, hey, and it stops everything. And let me tell you, the enemy is abusive. He's abusive. When there's been chaos going for too long, you need to raise up your voice and go, enough, enough. Then his word comes through very, very calmly and very peacefully because he has all authority. But sometimes you have to stand in your authority. You have to fight for it. You've got to call your bones back into the game. Does that make sense? I so believe in the yell. I believe in the shout. I refuse. My shout is when I feel the, that the heaviness that we're under in this, in this nation, but especially in this region, region where we don't believe that God is good in this and we don't believe that he'll break through in this and it's just too hard and I'd rather do my own thing, but I'd like him to fix this. When I feel it like a blanket, I will not stay underneath here, even if everyone else would rather be here. It's a, I will not accept this. It's a, you hear me loud and clear. Do you understand? 
They went out with trumpets in war. They made a noise. It's okay to make a noise. Cry aloud and shout for joy. Shabak, raise an uninhibited shout for joy, O people of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He's so worthy of a huge, ginormous yell. He really is. I'm going to do that one lots, I think. We're just going to practice shouting until, it, until we see the fruit and break off whatever we have come into agreement with because it is so powerful. It's so powerful, and, and one of us can't lead it anymore. Not when the Lord's given us so much for this region, but I think even for this nation, it's not just a, a tiny team of intercessors who carry that anymore. It's us. We need to come into agreement, and if the Lord says shout, we need to shout. That's how the, that's how the walls of Jericho would fall. I love the story. There's the references up there, but the last one, Ezra 3, 10 to 13, is when the new temple foundations were laid. And they lift up one long, um, uninhibited shout. I've gotten the word finally. And, it, and all the people that have come into the project just praised and worshipped and shouted. And they just went ballistic. But all the ones who had come from the old temple and now had been forgiven, redeemed, and come into this. They, they were going to be punished, but they've come into this project and they're able to lay the new foundation. They wail and grieve. And the, script, the scripture talks about how the wailing was so loud from the older generation and the shout was so loud from the new generation and it was heard for miles and you couldn't differentiate the two. Interesting. And then it finishes with, because they started with weeping, but they finished with rejoicing. Sometimes your shout just has to be a shout so that grieving doesn't win. Because the grief is true. It's allowed, it's permitted. But sometimes the shout keeps the real truth at the top. Does that make sense? Number six, Barak. To kneel down. Whew. This one goes all the way through. You'll feel it in the glory. Barak, to kneel down. To kneel down, to bless God. That we can even do that. To bless God as an act of adoration, to salute. Can we just do that this morning? For what he did. To salute, to submit, to give place to the Father in every area of your life. The emphasis, Barak, has highly more on the heart of humility and submission and trust in the posture than um, maybe like we've seen it in a Catholic understanding where you just whip yourself and then you have, you know, it's not penance. It's a posture of high humility, high submission, and high trust. It's, I'm yielding. You can have every place. This situation I don't understand, it's bowing. This, this, Amy talks on this so much, we just bow. We just bow. The bended knee approach is actually a lifestyle. But I've had experiences with the Lord where I can stand, I can walk, I can, I do a lot of that because it keeps me paying attention. Um, stand, I can walk, but, but when I felt to kneel, the obedience with my physical posture has produced a difference in, in the spirit. Like I've encountered that, that heavy weight, the kabod, you know, the presence of God that waits on you that you're like, I don't know if I can lift myself. Who here has experienced that? Okay, so we have more in the Lord. 
we have more in the Lord. And, I, and it's not just like a presence feeling, a spiritual reality, that tingle or gold dust. The, the kabod presence, I, I literally, my mind can be completely here, but I'm just under this weight. I'm like, why? And other times I'm with him and I'm fully understanding, but what I've come to understand with the heavy weight of his presence, with the yielding my life to him posture, is that he, the master surgeon, does an inner work that I might never understand. When we yield, he's finally given permission to go wherever he wants, only for our good. But we need to come to the posture of bowing. We need to come to the yes in our posture for him to go there. It's always a deep inner work when the kabod presence is on us. It's so good. It's so good. We'll go into that and we'll go into worship. We'll go into what the glory is like. Those are what I'm wanting to teach on more. And I know it's all mystical, but we're going to do it. It's going to be okay. It's going to be challenging and I love it. This is what it's all about. This is what living is about, people. It's not about your success. It's really not. It's not about what you're trying to achieve or housing or job or even in a little way, it's not even about the family. It is, it is, because God is family. But it's about finding him and living, receiving from him. It really is. This is the primary thing. If we look at the word Barak in scripture, we see that it's a calling to live this way. It's not just a calling to do um, through song on a Sunday. I think the Sunday way is slowly dying, thankfully, because prayer room has started, but I think across the world people are realizing it was a religious idea to only meet on a Sunday. The actual understanding of Sabbath rest was for the purpose of remembering who God is. That's what Sabbath was for. You dedicate a day to remember who he is. But gathering and worshiping him is what heaven looks like, and we've put it to a Sunday, but it should be all the time made possible, made available all the time. We're shifting. There's a big shift happening across the globe. Breathe in. <sighs> okay, in the Psalms, we're instructed to bless the Father. Let's go through this. I want to show you how it's so beautiful. This is Barak, to bless, to kneel down and bless. Psalm 34, verse 1. Okay, we're instructed to bless the Father at all times. As long as we live, Psalm 63, verse 4. From day to day, Psalm 96, verse 2. From this time forth and forever, Psalm 145, verse 1 and 2. At night in the house of the Lord, Psalm 134, verse 1. Forever and ever, every day, Psalm 115, verse 18. Kneeling, Barak, yielding our life to him in this posture. Throughout scripture, it constantly says Barak at all times. It always is next to it. Do you understand? Barak is the one that says forever and ever, always, at night. The posture he's asking of us is to yield, to give him every place in our hearts, to bow, to bow, to bow. We're to grow and mature to the point that we continually live, giving place to the Father in every area of our lives. We are to live a lifestyle of Barak, a lifestyle of worship. The physical act of kneeling is an expression of a lifestyle heart posture. Some examples, Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us barak before the Lord, our maker. 
1 Chronicles 29, 20. Then David said to all the assembly, now Barak the Lord your God. So they all Barak the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. How cool, eh? It's permission to move. It's permission to bow. We have chairs so that everyone fits. You don't have to remain behind your chair. Is that all right? I'm not saying you're supposed to come out of your chair. I'm saying you don't have to remain behind your chair. You can put your things down and you can go into the aisle or you can come out to the front or you can go to the back, but you can use position before the Lord. And a holy position isn't like the old times where you stand in your place. It's not being super weird, crazy, foolish. It's this, which might look foolish, okay? It's the kneeling. It's the extravagant praise. It's the yelling. Okay. We're going to be a, not Australian, basically, by the end of it. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> You're probably thinking, not German, hey? This is not a German pastor. Not German! Not New Zealand, not New Zealand. We are going to be African, though. Everybody, yay! <laughs> yes! It's true, hey? In Africa, let's just dance till it comes out. That's good. Yay! Praise God for Africa. Praise God for tribal culture that understands this. Wow. I love the queen, but yikes, the rest is just colonialism. All right. Tamar. Number seven, it's the last one, and I can do it in time. This is amazing. We kind of laughed about 14 pages of notes. <laughs> We're like, maybe we'll do half and half, eh? but we've done it. Zama, are we all okay? Do we feel like we have energy for the last one? The last drop. To make music. Zama means to pluck the strings of an instrument to sing and to praise. It's essentially about the musical word or the melody that's largely intertwined, um, usually with a joyful expression of music or with musical instruments. If we think of David and sitting in Saul um, near his throne, wherever they were hanging, and Saul was under torment and he would ask David to play. David would sing, but he'd also just play and the torment would leave. Yeah, so there's power in instrumental worship, which is cool. Music is powerful. It makes me very, very aware of what music I listen to. It's always worshiping something. Believe it or not, everything's designed for worship. Satan was the angel of? Yeah, it's really important what you listen to because he's really smart with that one. Isn't it really cool? I kind of think it's facetious in an awesome way that this... This guy that was all about worship got chucked out, and then the one thing that he is all about is what the Lord calls us to do. It's like kick him in the face every time. Yeah. And that the angelic hosts glorify him with song, even though the angel of song has gone. They just keep going, and we get to keep going down here below. Woohoo! Praise Jesus! So when you, when, when you feel the demonic, sing, play music. Sing some more. Just go. Stuff you. Jesus is beautiful. Sing some more. Play that guitar and honor Jesus. If your house feels messy, put worship on. Clear the atmosphere. Worship is powerful. Music is powerful. Even just music without words. 
That's why a lot of that chanting music they use with New Age, it's not so great even though apparently it's a peace track. You've got to really be careful about what you listen to. Steward your spirit on that. Steward your heart. In giving praise to the Father, we can either speak it or sing it. Halal or Tehila. This is cool. However, when we're expressing the others, the others, so Yada, Tauda, and Shabak or Barak in song, accompanied by instruments, this is described as Zamar. So all those others, even sometimes when there's no singing, are called Zamar. Cool, eh? So we can shout to the Lord with our instruments. Yeah, we can bow to the Lord with our instruments. Yeah, it's really cool. It's cool. Gets me excited. <sighs> All right, everyone reach out towards here. Not that it's the holy place, but it's where we normally sit. Reach out. Lord, we just thank you for musicians, and we thank you for singers. Lord, not for gifted ones who want their gifts to be seen, but Lord, we thank you that even if they come that way, <laughs> that they would hear the wonder of what it is to worship you and to lead people into worship with you, and we thank you that they're coming. Thank you, Lord, that we get to keep the sound you ask of us, whatever that may be, that we would keep looking for that sound, not something we've heard or something that's been done, but we look for the sound of your people here. But Lord, that you would give us the ones to carry it. You'd give us the people to carry it. You'd give us drummers and bassists and pianists and electric guitarists and please a celloist and a violinist. Lord, give us more singers and dancers and painters. Lord, that we would just express this with so much more energy and more capacity. In Jesus' name. Ah. Right. Some examples. Psalm 92, 1 to 3. It is good to give yada to the Lord. Yay. And to Zamar to his name, I'm almost high, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument, often stringed, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. It is good. Psalm 147 verse 7, sing to the Lord with tauda, before the fact, praise before the fact, zamar on the harp to our God. Anyone a harpist? Please? No. Nope. Zamar to the Lord with the harp. This is Psalm 98, verse 5 to 6. With the harp and the sound of a psalm, with the trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. And then Psalm 144, verse 1 and 9. Barak, so to kneel down, to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp, often strings with a zamar to you. Cool, eh? If you're a guitarist and you're wanting to get better, that's what I pray over my fingers all the time because I'm not naturally coordinated. So I go, Lord, you trade my hands for a war and you equip my fingers for the battle. Most Sundays I say that because I feel like there's so much concentration has to happen to help them move. All right, other references are up there. Really quickly, I mentioned the book by David Fritch, Enthroned. Another book I've been reading is called Glory by Ruth Ward Heflin. Anyone else read her stuff? She's old school. 
She's old school like as in you'll giggle, it's great. But she had some really good points and I've touched on them, so I'll just say that they've come from there. She teaches on one praise as an instrument of harvest. She talks on Hosea 2, 22. She felt God told her, you sow into heaven and I'll sow into earth. And he really talks how she began a daily praise and worship intercession gatherings, understanding that if she postured herself to love on him, he would release things and people would come back, nations would come back. And she was, didn't she go as an evangelist to China at like 16? Ridiculous, ridiculous, amazing. And then she did praise as a celebration. She talks about David dancing, and then the fruit of that was the nations. She talks about praise as warfare. Exodus 17, Moses holding up his hands. Joshua, Joshua 10, he tells the sun and the moon to stand still. And, he, and she talks about how praise changes the atmosphere and how it can change the atmosphere in your house. And we have to understand that it's a weapon and we have to use it when we're low or battling instead of avoiding it because we don't feel like it. Praise is your key out. So she really talks about that. And then praise as ascent, which I mentioned before about being going up, um, ascending the hill. And she's the one who also teaches on it sometimes takes two minutes, sometimes it takes 20. But we need to ascend. That should be the goal of every worshiper, that we enter the gates, enter the courts, and ascend to the hill to the Holy of Holies. It's a really great section. She goes on. She's, she's going on into this with praise, worship, and glory. So I'm just using that framework, but um, just wanted to reference some of her stuff. Um, in closing, I want to play a song. Um, some of us will know it, some of us won't, but we're gonna, I'm not going to play it. It's going to be on a CD. Um, and the words are going to come up. And I just felt like we don't have to be all ballistic, don't worry. There's no pressure of performance. But I loved the agreement in the song. So I thought whatever that agreement looks like from what we've learned, it would just be nice to close with that. Um, so I wanted to just cover what is praise. Praise is spoken and sung. It's an expression of our faith. Praise is a decision to open the door of our hearts and welcome him in. And praise is agreement with his nature, with what he's done, which is thanksgiving, with, with, with his will, which is intercession, and with his action plan, which is the prophetic. Ultimately, though, as our hearts mature, praise naturally becomes an expression of our devotion and our love. And then just to remember that he generously rewards, rewards us by revealing himself to us in his majesty and holiness. He awakens our hearts to more of him, into great, greater wholeness. He opens our eyes to see as he sees. And as we permit his will and agree to his truth, he sows into earth and brings revival to the nations. And then he strengthens us with hope, joy, confidence. He shifts the atmosphere around us. There's so much into it. But when he comes, enthroned on our praise, there's so much more that will also happen. Praise is deep and powerful, but it's just the beginning. We need to praise until the spirit of worship comes, which is part two. All right? So we're going to sing a song called Hallelujah Here Below. What does hallelujah mean? Halal to Yahweh. Boast, rave upon, give your, give your extravagant praise to the Lord. And remember, repetition allows for depth of meaning. Every time we say it, it's new because it's a new revelation. All right? It's a new yes. Never underestimate the power of yes and amen. The chorus is really easy. It's we sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we can do that part. Um, but I think you'll enjoy the whole truth of this song. So we're going to finish on that. Is that all right? Nice and loud. <laughs>